Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. It's so good to be here. It's, uh, Anne and I were just working it out. Uh, the last time we were in Harrogate was literally the night before lockdown. Do you remember the night before lockdown? It's like, it sounds like the night before Christmas, but it was really the nightmare before lockdown in terms that the last time I think was at your house, uh, Adam and Jess, and uh, meeting with some of your younger leaders, which was great. And who would have imagined that within 24 hours, the whole nation would be locked down? And uh, here we are, li- almost exactly three years later. And uh, we thank God for his faithfulness, don't we, through dark times and through difficult times. God has been good to us. And I want to say thank you particularly to Hope Church. You guys have been so supportive of the work that we're doing in Christ Central. So Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. So New Frontiers, some 2,000 churches around the world now. Uh, Christ Central, part of that family. Uh, We have the privilege, like Dan said, of uh, leading teams that lead 300 of those churches. So it's really thrilling. But I want to particularly thank you for your support. You've been very generous in your giving to Christ Central. I want to say thank you for that. But above your generosity of finance, which we really appreciate and we really honour, has been your giving of people. And lots of people in this room uh, have really and do serve the Christ Central family way beyond the locality. So I particularly want to thank Adam for Adam's now on the new UK team. We've never had a UK team before. We've had a team for... uh, various nations in Africa and Canada and Mexico and uh, Ukraine and other places, but we've never had a UK team. So uh, Adam is on the new UK team, which is being led by Chris Frost from Gateway Church Leeds. Obviously, this church has been massively blessed by that church in the past, and uh, it's now great to see Adam and Chris working together and that new team emerging. So thank you for that. Thank you for Steve Williams. Uh, Steve, where is Steve? He's still around. There he is, Steve. Steve and Leslie, thank you. Steve has been a faithful director of Christ Central Churches for many, many years now. And thank you, Steve, for all the wisdom and pastoral insight that you've brought to us. You know, you don't realise, well, perhaps you do realise, but behind every charity there's directors and those who give insight and wisdom and also financial management. We want to be totally upfront about everything. We want everything to be managed well with openness and vulnerability. And uh, It's just great that Pete is now going to be serving us, uh, I think, a day, a day a week uh, on the finances. And you guys have been so grateful. You're giving him to us. And uh, we don't look a gift horse in the mouth. We say thank you so much for your generosity of helping us. We realized it was one of our areas of vulnerability that we have just one person in Christ Central who's been overseeing the finances. And the, the trouble is, when you have one person doing anything, then there's a kind of risk and a vulnerability in that. So Pete's going to come alongside Graham Ands, who's been that person, and really thank you for, for releasing Pete. Now, there's many others I could mention. Thank you if you're involved in any other way of serving and blessing other churches. But thank you, Hope Church. You exist not just for Harrogate, but you exist for the nation. So thank you so much. If you've got a Bible, yeah, yeah, give yourself a clap. Yeah, that's great. 
If you've got a Bible, I wonder if you turn to the book of Ephesians. My, my Bible sort of auto, my Bible's falling apart, but it kind of automatically opens to the book of Ephesians because this book has been so influential uh, in my life. It's probably, if I had to pick a favorite book of the Bible, it probably would be Ephesians. Certainly would be my favorite book of the New Testament. And God has spoken to me such a lot out of this uh, great, amazing book. And if you had to, for me, if you had to say, if you could sum up, Ephesians in a word or two words, it will be this little phrase, in Christ or in Christ Jesus. It's actually Paul's favorite description of the Christian life, that we are now no longer in the world or in Adam, as he often refers to it, but we've now been taken and we've been incorporated, we've been joined, we've been added into Christ. And now everything that's true of Christ is actually true of us in terms of our relationship with God the Father, in terms of our receiving of the Spirit, in terms of our standing in righteousness. All of it is summed up with this little phrase, in Christ. I think Paul sometimes uses it over a hundred times in his letters, and it's absolutely peppered through in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at one of those. It's Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, I'm really going to just... uh, Refer to verses 17 to 19. So if you've got a book, got the Bible open (laughs) or on your app, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. Let me read it to you. I keep asking, so this is Paul's prayer, he keeps asking that the God of our Father, sorry, the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, I'm dyslexic by the way, so Anne always laughs. She said, you've never ever read the Bible publicly without making a mistake. I made a big one there. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, that's capital S, kind of Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation, that you may know Him, and the Him there is God, or more specifically Christ. You may know Him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And Lord, I just bring this simple passage to you. And I ask you that not I would speak, but your word would speak to us today. Thank you that the words for us aren't just black dots on a page, but they're living and active. And it's, Lord Jesus, you are the word of God. I pray you'd speak to us your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, I think the whole of the Christian life could be summed up in that phrase, in Christ, although it wasn't specifically mentioned in the reading. If you read either side of it, it's actually packed through with references to being in Christ. And Paul there wants us to know our riches. He wants us to know our inheritance. He wants us to know what has been given to us. He wants us to know our new identity. I don't know what you think about your identity, but quite often we we, sometimes we refer to ourselves as negative. Somebody, I heard somebody say to somebody, oh, you're a liar. Well, that's like, that, that's kind of making, no, no, maybe occasionally you have told lies, but you are not a liar. It's like that's your identity. Or you might say, well, actually, I, I'm a husband or I'm a father or I'm a mother or I'm a wife or I'm a son or I'm a daughter. They're all good things, actually. Or you might decide it's, oh, I'm a banker or I'm a a lawyer, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a stay-at-home mom, or whatever, whatever. You, know, you define yourself by what you do, but actually God defines you by being in Christ, 
That's who you are today. You're a son or daughter of the king. That's your identity. That's who you are. And this passage is asking that your eyes might be open, that you might see who you really are and who he is for you. And it reminds me of a story. This is a true story, actually. You can look it up online of a famous newspaper tycoon called William Randolph Hearst. And in a previous century, he was the, one of the richest men in the States, one of the richest men uh, in the world, actually, owned many of the national newspapers in the States. I guess a sort of Murdoch figure uh, in his day, but uh, uh, not, not a particularly nice guy, but hey, you know, newspaper priorities and all that. But he was a fanatic of collecting art. He loved artwork. Uh, he was probably had probably one of the best collections of arts in the country, probably in the world. And often he would look for and find particular works of art by great artists to add to his collection. And one day he was looking in one of his own magazine publications. He saw a picture, a particular painting, and thought, wow, my artwork collection would be complete if I owned that particular painting. That one is amazing. Compared to all the other ones I have, wow, that one would make it all complete. So he gathered his experts, he gathered his art department and all his buyers and people and said, look, this is the one I want. Drop everything else, all the other ones you're working on. This magazine, let me show you the picture. They took the picture, took it down. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll search for that one. Well, months later, they came back to him and said, well, there's some good news, sir, and some bad news. He said, right, tell me the bad news. You can't buy it. He said, yes, I can. You don't understand. I'm the richest man in the world. I can buy whatever I like. Well, the good news, sir, is we found it. But the bad news is you can't buy it. He said, why not? Well, let me tell you where we found it. It was full of dust in your own art vault. You've owned it for years, but never have appreciated it. You've never taken it out. You've never looked at it. You already own it. Listen, some of us are searching <laughs> to make our life complete. Some of us are looking for the answer. We're looking for things. I want to suggest to you that the answer is found in knowing who we are in Christ. And sometimes that's just in our dusty vaults. It's just you've got to have your eyes opened to see who you are. And that's what this passage is all about. He's praying that the eyes of our heart might be opened. He's praying, he's asking God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, to give us the Spirit. And it's interesting, it's nice, it's capital S in our translation. Of course, in the original text, it wouldn't have been, well, it all would have been capitals, it wouldn't be upper or lowercase, but the commentators, the translators are implying, yeah, this is about the Holy Spirit, which we'll come to later. And it's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him. Do you know, that is the whole purpose of your life. Now that you're born of the Spirit, now that your identity is in Christ, now that you're a son or daughter of the King, the whole purpose of your identity is to know him, is to get to know him, is to have relationship with him. And that's what he's, in, that's what he's praying here. He's praying for you to know him, to have relationship, and not to know about, not just facts, not just theology that we can put in a book or a notepad, but actually to have personal experience of him, to actually know him. When you, in the Bible, when it talks about knowledge, 
it has a kind of double-edged sword. It doesn't just mean facts. We tend to think of facts. We tend to think of knowledge as facts. But actually, knowledge in the Bible is much more than facts. It's about experience and experiencing those facts. And the Bible would never divorce just the knowing of the fact with the experience of the fact. In fact, Jesus says, if now that you know these things, you're blessed if you do these things. In other words, Jesus never divorces knowing something with, without walking into it. You need to walk into it. You need to know it. You need to experience it. You need to have the eyes of your heart opened. And this doesn't come just to our heads. It's the eyes of our hearts. Adam asked me to reference enjoying God. Well, the Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him, to know him. See, that again, that, that link with biblical knowing. It says of Adam, Adam knew his wife. And those of you who are aware of what that connotation means, doesn't just mean he recognized her. You know, that's a giraffe, that's my wife. I said this the other day, and I said, I, I didn't use the word giraffe, I said hippopotamus and got told off for it. But <laughs> giraffe is much more elegant, isn't it? Oh, that's a giraffe, that's my wife. You know, it's not, it's not he, it, it implies intimacy. It implies, actually, sexual relationship in, in the context, but it, it's much more than just knowing about. And we're called to know him. Not know facts about him, you may have come along this morning, you know a few facts about Jesus, but you don't know him. You can know facts about famous people. You can read a biography and get all the facts, but you don't know them. And he wants us to know. Now, how do we get to know him? Well, we get to know God through the person of Jesus. In the past, Hebrews says, God's spoken to our forefathers through the prophets, but now he's spoken through his son. Jesus said... In John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true living God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent, to know him, to know Christ, to have personal relationship with Jesus. And I think so often as Christians, we focus on the benefits of salvation, but we can miss the glory of the Saviour. And we can talk about forgiveness and righteousness and freedom. They're all benefits of salvation. But all of this comes from a saviour. All of this comes from knowing him. So my provocation to you this morning is, are you growing in your knowledge of him? Are you getting to know him? Are you experiencing him? I mean, Paul puts it rather crudely. This is the message translation of Philippians chapter 3. And he contrasts all the things that he once put his confidence in. His heritage his background, his family line. And he contrasts that with knowing Jesus. He says this in Philippians 3. All the things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. <laughs> That's the actual translation. It means excrement, I'm afraid. Sorry about that, but it does. Paul's rather crude in some of his terminology. Get, like to get the point. I don't want to, he says, I've put all that in the trash, good, so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. 
Dear friends, what are you putting your confidence in? What are you putting your security in? What are you putting your identity in? Is it in your relationship with him? Or is it in achievements, job, titles? Some of those things are not bad. But actually, our confidence, our security, our identity comes from knowing Christ and being known by him. So we get to know Jesus in two ways, this passage would intimate. Number one, by the word. It says here, by wisdom. Now, wisdom doesn't just mean being clever. Wisdom in the Bible is always personified. If you look in the book of Proverbs, it personifies wisdom. It makes wisdom out to be a person. And in the New Testament, we reveal that Jesus actually is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. That's another one of those in Christ. It's because of God, because of him that you're in Christ, who's become for us wisdom. You want to know wisdom, you don't learn it from university. You learn wisdom from knowing Jesus, and particularly from knowing his word. It's the word of God for us, like I said before, isn't just black dots on a White page, or if you're really spiritual, some red dots, you know. Those people have red, red letter Bibles. I've always been slightly suspicious of them, to be honest. But I, Sorry if you've got one, it's fine. But it's all the word of God. It's all the words of Jesus. All of it is the words of Jesus. All of it. And I, I was so impressed what Anne brought. I mean, we, she told me in the car what she, was gonna, she felt she had for this morning. I thought, actually, it fits in very much. Because we don't talk usually, but... <laughs> I've actually written it down here, Luke 24. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Were our hearts not burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Dear friends, what's your attitude to this? Oh, I read it because it's like, you know, it's like good protein pills or something. It's good, you know, it's good fruit. It's one of my five a day. Or it's because like good discipline, like exercise. It's, it's kind of good to do it. It's good to read this. I, I want to say we need to change our attitude to this. We need to reshape or reframe our attitude to this. This isn't for us a book of knowledge, just facts. It's a book about Jesus. Everything. Jesus said all the law and the prophets, the whole thing is about him. In fact, he criticized the scribes and the Pharisees. He says this in Luke, uh, sorry, John 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. That shows you can study the scriptures, you can know the facts, you can know all about Jesus, yet refuse to come to him. It's like going to a restaurant, reading the menu, and feeling full. Oh, that's a lovely menu. Beautifully produced. Lovely photographs. I know all about that now. I even know how many calories are in it. You know, I know where it came from. It was well sourced locally. But it, you haven't fed if you just read the menu. It, it's about feeding off Jesus. This is a living book. It's life. It's living. How do you get to know Jesus? Primarily through the Word. Primarily through Him speaking to you. It's not an instruction book. Some people, it's a manual for life. No, it's, it's, it's a love letter. It's a love letter from him speaking to you. And I just challenge you, how are you reading this? It, um, 
Adam and I have been having some conversations about the difference between my generation and his generation, or rather maybe some of your generation, because already he's flipped generations. <laughs> and my generation was so nervous of legalism. Oh, don't tell anyone what to do. You, you, people just must just find out for themselves. You don't tell them what to do. Legalism was the bad guy. The trouble with this generation is you've got so much choice. You've got so many things out there, you don't know what to choose from, and you fear picking something, because if I pick it, it might be the wrong thing. I might pick that, and I should have picked that, so I don't pick anything. So much information, so many videos, so many downloads, so many things I could look at. Let me just say, we need to get this into us. We need to get this love letter alive. When I was at college in Brighton for a year, I can remember Anne and I were freshly engaged. Ah, thank you. And uh, I can remember every, this is before mobile phones, it's before emails, it's before texts, it's before WhatsApps and all that stuff. I know that's hard for you to imagine, Heather, a world without that. But there was a world before. And we used to write letters every day. We'd write a letter to each other. And I can remember the joy of hearing the thump of a letter on the doormat as the postman early in the morning. That was the day when postman came early in the morning. In fact, postman came twice, early delivery and second delivery. But I can remember the thump of a letter and opening it up and just checking the bottom that she hadn't dumped me or something. You know, just it wasn't a dear John letter. But no, she still loves me. And then just reading and reading and savouring and enjoying and keeping it with me during that. I felt God spoke to me one more. Look, you, you enjoy those letters for Anne, but you're not enjoying the letters from me. These are living letters. They're lovely. It's Jesus speaking to you. Now, I, I want to encourage you, however you get this word into you, get it into you. I use an app. Hey, how modern am I? I use, an app. I use the Bible in one year with Nicky Gumbel. And you can do that either by literally going through the whole Bible in one or there's even a light version. Like a, uh, You don't have to go through the whole thing. You can have just little bits of it. But it's wonderful because it gives you an overview of the whole Bible. And I just want to encourage you, get the word into you. And if you're worried, think, oh, what so many choices out there? Could I choose the wrong? Choose the Bible in one year by Nicky Gumbel. It's like a good thing to do. That's not legalism. That's just a wise thing to get the word into you, get the Bible getting into you. So how do we get, how do we get to know God? Well, number one, we get to know him through the word. Secondly, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open. You might know this spirit of wisdom, which I think speaks about Jesus, the wisdom of God, the truth of God, and revelation. What's revelation? Well, let me read to you this passage in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 13, because I think Revelation speaks of the Holy Spirit. As it's written, what no eye has seen or ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these are things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God reveals to us by the Spirit. There's revelation that comes from the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And it goes on to say that's how we get wisdom, by receiving spiritual things from God by the Holy Spirit. You see, we are word and spirit people. And they're not supposed to be divorced because actually they're not divorced in the Trinity. They're beautifully brought together, Jesus as the word, with the Holy Spirit. And people say to me this, if I, if I receive more of the Spirit, will I get weird? People have actually said that to me. Oh, I don't want too much of that spirit. I might get weird. Let me tell you, Jesus said this, 
I'm going to leave you another one just like me. And he's going to take from me truth and reveal it to you, and it's going to live in you. Listen, if you receive more of the Spirit, you will not get weird. You'll just get more like Jesus. Now, if you think Jesus is weird, maybe you will get some weird. And maybe there are some weird things that he does. Acts of faith. Standing against an enemy. Healing somebody. Spitting in their eye. (laughs) I mean, you know, some weird stuff happens around Jesus, but some glorious stuff. Listen, I want to encourage you. I want to pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened. Not the eyes of your head, the eyes of your heart. See, Jesus, or rather the Apostle Paul, talks about the Spirit being poured out in our hearts, Romans 5, by the Spirit. The love of God being poured out by the Spirit in our hearts. And the trouble with our Western world, and it's wonderful to see so many African faces here this morning, and whether you actually have ever lived in Africa or whether Africa is just your cultural heritage, my friends in Africa, you know, they are so hungry for the Spirit. And they are such heart people. They just receive from the Spirit. And there's other parts of the world that's like that as well. But in, in the UK... We're kind of bit head knowledge people. We kind of know it in our brains. But Paul would say to us, and this scripture would say to us, I want the eyes of your heart to be open. I want you to receive the love of God by the Spirit in your hearts so that we walk not by sight but by faith. And the Spirit is going to do that. So I want to pray for you guys that that happens. And let me just bear my soul before I bring my last point. My soul is this, or my heart is this. And I think this is probably not true of you <laughs> because we experienced so wonderfully this morning. But I think sometimes we dial down the things of the Spirit. Sometimes in the name of not offending people, not being too weird or wacky, being seeker-sensitive, being evangelist, we, we dial down the very evangelist of heaven <laughs> in the name of evangelism. <laughs> we dial down... The Spirit sometimes, and I want to just encourage you, dial up the Holy Spirit. Keep personally receiving the Spirit, that the eyes of your heart might be open, that you might receive the love of God in your heart. But as you gather corporately like this, keep receiving the Holy Spirit. Just about all the references to the Spirit in the New Testament are corporate. And again, we've made it private. Old tongues, just my little prayer language, or he'll speak to me private. Now, don't get me wrong. It is a beautiful prayer language. Don't get me wrong. He does speak to you individually. But actually, in terms of a spirit-filled community, a spirit-filled people, in terms of the coming on of the spirit, just about all the references to that in the New Testament are about a people full of the spirit. Oh, yeah, we do that in our prayer meetings. We do that sometimes in our small groups. No, no, we do it when we gather. Whenever we gather, yeah, in our prayer meetings, yeah, in our small group, but yeah, something like this, whenever we gather, we're a spirit-filled community. We're a people of the spirit. So please don't be, don't dial that down. Keep getting prayed for. So my last point is this. Slow down. We live in such a fast-paced world Everything's instant, instant download, instant communication, instant meals, instant everything. 
a relationship with Jesus from his word and by the spirit just takes time. And our problem, it's not, our poverty often isn't financial. It's time. Now, it can be financial, of course. It's often time. And we're so busy. I read this from Eugene Peterson, the guy who translated the message version. He said this, because I often say that, how are you doing, Dan? Oh, I'm, you know, if Dan asks me, how are you doing, Jeremy? Oh, I'm very busy. That's kind of like the stock answer for a pastor. And he says this, the word busy is a symptom not of commitment, but of betrayal. Not of devotion, but defection. The adjective busy set to a pastor, in other words, busy pastor, should sound to our ears like adulterous to characterize a wife or embezzler to characterize a banker. It's an outrageous scandal, a blasphemous affront. And what he's really saying here is, guys, we're just getting on the hamster wheel. You know, we're just in the rat race. And, you know, if you win the rat race, you only become king rat. I mean, it's like, and we're so busy. We're so, we're so in this thing. And I think this passage and some of this teaching in the New Testament is about us slowing down and getting to know Jesus by his word, by the spirit. And I'd encourage you, take time to pray. I get up early. I was up at about 6.20 this morning. Not that that was particularly early, but got up and I love to walk. Just get out of the house, no mobile phone. Just get out. It's good for your mental health because it's green and sometimes the sky is blue, although I live in Manchester and often it isn't. But just to get out. See, Jesus said to his disciples, lock yourself away in a closet. But if you look what he actually did, he got up early and walked. <laughs> what he really means is get alone. Just get alone. Get alone with him. Now, let me give you what would be considered some legalistic advice in my day. Get alone with him every day. It doesn't matter if you can't do it every day, but just get alone with him sometime and talk to him. Uh, I love to speak in tongues. I speak in tongues for about 15 minutes a day. I read a book early in my Christian life by Jackie Pullinger and her breakthrough in her ministry in China in the walled city in Hong Kong was speaking in tongues. And it's just a beautiful language of connecting with him, praying his prayers rather than my prayers. And I love just to pray the Lord's Prayer line by line by line. You could pray in five minutes or 50 minutes. <laughs> just taking a phrase, Father in heaven. Thank you that you, thank you I've got a Father in heaven who rules. Isn't that wonderful? I've not got an impotent father. I've got a reigning father. who Our father, John, hallowed be it. Glory to you. Start with you, Lord. Don't start with me. Start with you. Glory to you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Lord, let that reign in heaven come on earth. Let me be a conduit of it. And then I remind him of some of the areas that I want to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I'm not going to pray the whole thing now, but you, you get the idea. You can pray it. And that's what I encourage you to do. Encourage you to take something like the Lord's Prayer and just take time, slow down. Anne and I have moved loads of times, and often when we move, we move to a garden that needs loads of work. And gardens just take time. It's amazing what you can do in three years in a garden. Anne always says it takes about three years to get a garden right. 
is that it takes time. The Bible's full of garden imagery. It starts in a garden. Jesus prays in a garden. It ends up in a garden city. And gardens just take time to weed, to water, to plant, to nurture, to look after. I want you to think about your Christian life much more like a garden, a gardening time. Some of Solomon says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover. I delight to sit in his shade. You're a garden locked up, my bride. You're a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. And I want to encourage you, take time to plant a garden of devotion to Jesus. And I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open, that you might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you might know him better, that you might enjoy him better. What an amazing community we would be if all of us were planting that kind of garden. What an amazing celebration it would be when we came together, when every one of us bringing some part of the produce of the garden, everyone would be full, everyone would be fed, Everyone will be blessed. That's the kind of imagery that God uses. When we come together, everyone has something to build up the body. And if an unbeliever walks in, they fall down and say, God's amongst you. It's so evangelistic. We're going to end our meeting, not by ministry to one another, but by ministry to him. We're first and foremost called to bless the Lord to worship him, to love him, to adore him. So I'm going to invite Joe just to come back up. And I'm going to pray for us. A couple of times in the New Testament, the idea of being welcomed or being at home is referenced. We he's kind of started with some of that earlier about us being welcomed into his presence. It says in Colossians 2.6, just as you received Christ, continue to live in him. Revelation 3, written to Christians, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Written to Christians. We use it evangelistically, but written to Christians. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and relax with him. I'll come in and eat with him. He wants to relax with you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. Some of us have shut our doors to Jesus. Some of us have said, yeah, it's not really convenient right now, Lord. Well, let's just make some space now. Why don't we just stand? Lord Jesus, we pray that the eyes of our hearts might be opened. Not just our head knowledge, although we thank you for knowledge, but we pray for heart knowledge, real experience of the Saviour, real experience of you. Thank you, Lord, that comes from knowing your word. Your word is truth. You are the word of God, Lord Jesus. But it comes from an experience of the Spirit. We say, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome now. As we just end our meeting together, We want all the attention to be on you. We want all the glory to go to you. We want to experience you, Lord, by the Spirit and in the Spirit. Let's bring glory to him as we worship him. Amen.